0: Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. For our time. Father, thank you so much for this house. Thank you for this family. Thank you for the assignment. Uh, Thank you for bringing these people in. Thank you for the new ones and the ones that have been carrying the weight uh, here for the longevity of time that are just loyal and are serving. And Father, I pray that both parties would be refreshed. And God, I pray that your word would go back to you fulfilled so that it would be finding good soil, good hearts, good souls. And God, you would uh, see it to be growing so that in this place that it would be watered and planted seeds. In the name of Jesus, somebody said, Amen. Amen. So you guys have been tracking that we, I say we, Partner Relationship, Grace, and also Cornerstone, have been doing discipleship for a while now. And the discipleship essence comes from Jesus' last command which is uh, Matthew 28, is to give what God has given you. And that's, that's the essence of this idea of discipleship. We have a mandate and a command to be able to give out what God's given us. And so um, these are uh, awesome ushers now are, are going out. These cards, if you didn't get one, are part of these tools. So we've been doing this at our church. Every once in a while, maybe even once a month, we'll give out tools. And the reason why is because God has commanded you let me just stop right there. You, because yeah, I know you're looking at me and and you know Sam and Virgil and no 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 he's commanded you. That's <laughs> like it just needs to set in, because you have a Bible, you have the Word, you have life. You're a human that God is speaking to. If you're following Jesus, then He has commanded you to make disciples of all nations. And if that's true, He has commanded you to build lives. And in building lives, you're going to need some tools. And so the picture that we see here in Scripture is that we have been given a lot of tools to be able to go and sit down with people, whether it's in your home or whether it's around coffee or around lunch or around a formal small group, and to be able to pour into these people and then also be poured into. We need tools to build lives. Have you ever had somebody sit down in front of you and their, and their life was absolute wreck like, if you were to put their, their life in front of you, it'd be like a house. I mean, this house is broken foundation. The windows are cracked. Doors are busted in. You know, the second floor is kind of wobbly. You wouldn't even dare to go up the stairs. Come on, somebody. Have you ever had a life like that? <laughs> Come on. Has your life ever been like that? And you just know, where do I start? Like, what's the place? Should I, should I go on the west wind? Could I go upstairs and work top down? Should I start right in the entryway? When you restore a home, it's very similar to restoring a life. And you have to have the tools, because you can't just go in there with a, with a hammer and a screwdriver. You know how long that will take you? <laughs> you, know, you can't go into that house being like, all right, we're going to shape this thing up in like a week or two. You have, a lot of, you have a lot of dreamers, if that's the case. What you need is the right tools to be able to put this thing in place. So what you're holding is one of the tools that we've been giving out so that we can help God build lives through this, this very fundamental idea of family, coming together sharing what God has given us so that we can start pouring out our lives to each other and see what God does. So I want to explain this tool as we go, but let me just set this thing up. Have you ever wondered why Jesus came? Like why He left royalty? Why He left perfection? Why He left His place called heaven, hanging out with the Father and the Holy Spirit in perfection to come down to this mess called earth to hang out with humanity. Literally, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that. Just use your imagination. If you were to have Jesus in front of you, I know there's about the million questions that you'd ask him, but what about why? <laughs> like, Jesus, you had it all. Why did he leave to come down to the peasant society of a broken humanity? Now, we get it. If you're in church, you're like, he died for my sins, for forgiveness, he went up on the cross. But well, come on. If you had a private conversation with Jesus... That wouldn't satisfy you, because there's a whole lot of ache and hurt inside of your heart and society for you just to be like, okay, I, I, I think I get this. But there's something deeper that drives our heart to say, why did you come down? This is one of the things that he says in John 10, 10, is he gives you the reason why. He actually says, I came. I came. I came. Why? Why did you leave heaven? Why did you show up? Why did you live here? Why did you come and take my place on the cross? Come on, somebody. Why did you then wait a little bit, just a little bit of this drama that you stirred up when everybody else on the waiting of Saturday until the arrival of Sunday? Why did you raise yourself up from the dead and then uh, spend a few days afterwards hanging out with your disciples? Why did you ascend? Why are you at the right hand? Why did you promise to come back one day, ripping the heavens open on a white horse coming down Come on, somebody, a sword in your mouth, fire in your eyes, a tattoo, and then your, your robe dipped in blood. Why? Why about that gospel story? This is what he says. I came so that you may have life. And I love this very last word. And have it, say this with me, and have it abundantly. Jesus, let me just tell you something, if you don't know him, he does not exaggerate. He uses words very carefully. In fact, the Scriptures tell us about every single Scripture that all of them, even the pronouns and the commas and the small words are given and all of them are breathed out by God and they're inspired to be the Word of God. There's no excess and there also isn't anything missing. So when Jesus comes in and says, I came, left my throne to come here and to live your life, take your place so that you may have not just life. And he's not exaggerating because it's a marketing and commercial to try to get you to sign up. He's literally talking about the description of his reality that he wants you to be confronted with. Life abundantly. Now this word intrigues me. So I looked it up in the Greek, the original word for abundantly. Is this greater? Jesus said, "I come for life greater." That's a good word. Anybody living there? You like? I'm living life. <laughs> Maybe on the part of better than some, but is it greater? This is the Greek definition of that word: abundant, excessive. Jesus said, "I came for life, and life excessive." I came for life abundantly. I came for life beyond what is anticipated, exceeding expectation, going past the exceeded limit, expected limit, excuse me, more than enough, over and above, more than is necessary. And I didn't make this up. You can just look it in the original language. Jesus says, I came for life super added. Come on, this is a, that's a good word. You, you, can, you can drive away in confidence knowing super added to words. You're welcome, by the way. Now let me just ask you, is your heart pumping and flowing with life super added? Is it coming, is it spilling over, is it leaking super added life? Because it's designed to hold the weight and the capacity to receive and to give, not just life so that you can survive, but life abundant, excessive, more than you expected, greater, life Come on, somebody, say it with me. Super added. What if your what if your heart was pumping with super added life? What would Monday look like? What would your spouse look like? What would your kids <laughs> come on. What would your Mondays look like at work? What would your situations look if you had life flowing through your veins and pumping in your heart and you had more than enough? More than enough. What would life look? What were the troubles on the horizon that you're facing right now? What about the budget that you're looking at that you're not sure how to do that? What about the next decision of your life? What would that look like if your heart was packed with life and life super added, excessive, abundant? Everything else would be... You don't want to downplay this because there's some issues that we have. But if you have access to this, the promise of God that dwells inside of you, apparently greater is He within you than anything else that you face in the world. If that's true, you have more than enough. You have been given more than enough. You have been given an Ephesians 3.20 lifestyle. You have been given over to a God who is a shepherd in your life and then declares with the next verse, you shall not want. You have everything you need. Where is it? It's inside the God that dwells inside of you, the Holy Spirit that fills you up constantly. And Jesus says, that is why I came. So you may have life today forevermore. Now it only gets better. I'm not saying life gets easy. That is clearly not the case for the gospel and especially for Jesus. But no doubt, even him facing the cross, there was joy set before him. And there is joy, this is the brilliance about our gospel. In James, there's a reminder, there is joy attached to trials and tribulations. I don't think there's any other lifestyle that we can ever have to recognize that there is joy and an abundance of life given to us that we have access to whenever we face difficulties. But the problem is, yeah, yeah, I just gave you the good news. This is usually the gospel. Hey, look at all the promises. Yeah, like everybody's like, I'll take one of those. But see, the problem is you and me. The problem is we're broken. The problem is we're dull. We walk around like we're kind of alive, but we're really just outward shells dead on the inside. He didn't say we're we're, you know, we we need some improvement. He said you're dead in your transgressions. It's like you going to the doctor's appointment. It's <laughs> got it's got a little bit of a <clears throat> got a little cough. If you can get rid of this, doc, I'll be good. So he checks you out. He does a, a blood sample, comes back. He runs every test known to man. You're there for a little bit. He comes back, and he says, I want you to sit down. Oh, <laughs> why? The doctor says, it's worse than you think. He says, well, I just have a little tickle. I just need you to get rid of it. Give me like a cough drop or something. He goes, no, you don't need a cough drop. You need life support. You're dying. This is the gospel. The greatest news that you've ever been told is you are worse off than you think but there is a God who dwells inside of you who gives you life now and forevermore. And we are living in the tension between figuring out how to live in the abundance now and knowing that promise will be fulfilled someday. We're just not there yet. Anybody feel the tension between, I know there's a reality of what I have to do every single day to go to work and have the tensions and the stress of this world, but oh my God, one day... Come on, somebody. There is an eternity that I'm going to be living in and all of these things. I don't have to read my Bible anymore. You're not going to need to live it because you're going to be living it. You do need to read the very thing that's going to be inside of you and just pumping through your veins. I don't know if we're going to be walking in heaven or flying, but it's going to be amazing. But too many Christians just say, okay, well, one day, well, let's just sit in church and one day God will fix everything. No, 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 no. no. We've got a lot of stuff to do, namely, allow our hearts to come alive because they're dead right now without him. And just just as Virgil prayed, God, we need more of you. We don't need more information. We don't need more talent, more gift. We need more of the presence of God in our life so that we can go live a life abundantly that he came to live and give us. And so here we are in the midst of a situation that is not anything of a surprise to Jesus. You know, in Matthew chapter 13, right in the middle of the gospel, there is a moment, a few chapters, in which Jesus starts to describe the kingdom of God. Guys, listen, my reality is amazing. It's kind of like when you lose a lost coin and then you find it and you tell everybody about it. It's kind of like fishermen, when they throw a net and they bring everything up and celebrate for the catch. It's kind of like a, a pearl that you know all the great pearls with. And you, when you find the great pearl, and he uses all these analogies. Man, can't, how, how, can I, how can I describe this? The kingdom of God is like this. Um, do you know about a mustard seed? It's of course, all this agricultural people that live off the land. Yeah, I know about seeds. All right, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about something that you don't know. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, and he goes on to tell. And he's in Matthew chapter 13, and he's describing all of this. I don't know if you're here. Like, just listen to this. Jesus is in the midst of literally chapter 13 telling stories. Why would you be telling stories when they, just look around. There's broken humanity all around. Would you have fixed these people? Like come on. Have you ever had, you know, a, a business deal and there's just laziness around? You're like, "Don't you see the problem? You got to go after the problem." And Jesus is like, "You're just telling stories. Don't you know this is is not what we need to do. We need to fix humanity. We have broken hearts. We have marriages. We have people that are not reconciled. We have people that don't know you. There's lots for you to do. Why you just around sitting stories? And then and, and then this is what he said. This is why I tell stories. In the middle of Matthew chapter 13, he just takes a pause. He says, you want to know why I, I speak in parables? You want to know why I tell in stories? This is why. Listen to what he says in verse 15. In the midst of this, he says, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. You guys are just living your life, coming to church every once in a while, on occasion reading your Bible. I'm not I'm not guilt-tripping you guys. I'm not accusing. I'm saying this is what we do. We live life. And every once in a while we open up the Word. Every once in a while we come to church, and we just wonder, God, is this it? God's like, not at all. And let me just be clear. What I'm not saying is you need to read your Bible more, come to church more, and pray more because it's not about more that you do. It's about resting in more of what God already did. When we rest in the work and the character of God, we recognize we have to live differently. Why don't we have life oozing from our hearts? Apparently, it's offered to us. There's an issue going on. We're in the middle of the parables and the storytelling that Jesus says, "Your hearts are the issue. It's not your hands, it's not your schedule. It's not your marriage. It's not your relationship. It's not your work ethic. Come on, somebody. It's not your salary. It's not your boss is the issue. It's not your coworkers. That's the issue. <laughs> then what is it? <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this. It's you. <laughs> Usually we say that during breakups. Listen, we're breaking up. It's not you. It's me. But we've met. Well, I don't know that we've ever been like. Listen, there's an issue in this relationship. It's actually not you. It's me. So I don't know. I don't know what relationship. We're like really? Well, that's odd. Because you know this is where we got humanity. Adam and Eve. You know what they did? They blamed each other. The first moment that things went awry. Eve's like, Yo, not me. <laughs> it was the, It was the enemy. And Adam, what did he do? There was a girl you gave me. <laughs> what a coward, man. We've been trying to kick up on this guy to to pull up some responsibility ever since. Thank God for the second and last Adam who cleaned everything up, who gives us strength, and now we can walk out bold in strength and courage so that we have His Word inside of us. Your hearts are dull. The issue isn't your calendar. The issue isn't your work. It's not your hands. It's not your feet. It's not your discipline. The work of God is allowing Him in your heart so that it's not this description that Jesus gives you. It's dull got a dull heart you're just numb you walk around life and you don't feel you walk around life and and it's either uh, um, swinging the pendulum on burnout or swinging the pendulum on laziness I just I don't know there's just so much to do where do you begin or it's like I'm so busy I'm so busy I'm doing I'm doing I'm doing I'm I'm going to town and you can't even you can't even have time for the, the the most important things because all you're doing is running around with the urgent things so here we are swinging the pendulum to busyness swinging the pendulum to laziness we're either on the the crux of one or we're on the crux of the other and I don't know if you've recognized this but you have a heart disease and that's the issue Jesus says your heart's dull it's dull because of busyness it's dull because of apathy so just pick one hey it's a great day to be at church I'm so thankful that you're here um (laughs) Don't worry, next week, Virgil is going to clean this thing up. You know, just as a guest, you can just come in here and be like, and then just we just walk away. So what do you do? What do you do with a heart disease? You know, you go to your doctor. This is usually how it happens. When you, when you walk into the doctor, hey, it's, it's worse than you think. Really? And then what's your next thing? What do we do? What do we do? Now, here's the thing about the doctor and the patient relationship. The doctor can write you a prescription, but whose responsibility is it to take it? <laughs> yeah. See, now you're looking at Sam and me and, and Virgil and everybody else who comes speaking. You're like, Pastor, it's your issue, actually. It's yours. We couple this thing together. Can I? Let's just be honest. I have my own heart issues. <laughs> I have my own heart issues because I'm human. Just because I'm up on stage doesn't mean that I've arrived. And if we had longer time, uh, this would be a confession session. <laughs> but a heart that's dull is something that needs to be looked at and when we look at the word that's exactly what it says he sees and separates in between spirit and soul that's a word that's living and active in hebrews 4 because it actually shows this is what it says the motives of your heart that's what you need you need a, a good diagnosis you need to go into the mechanic and not have a mechanic being like, "I don't think anything's wrong. Yeah, drive your car for that long distance mile. You got a little road trip? Yeah, good luck with it. Halfway through it breaks down. And you're like, "What happened?" <laughs> it's just lazy. I didn't really want to take it out. You have a mechanic that thoroughly looks at your heart and says the issue is your heart's dull. It's dull. It's too busy? Or it's too lazy? So I want you to imagine, because we're in this discipleship process, that this is mostly for you, but it's also for other people. So don't skip out on any of the processes. Don't go straight to your friend or your spouse or your family member or a co-worker. Oh, I know who needs to hear this message. You know, do one of those. But make sure you receive it, because the only way that you can give with authority is that you allow God to do some victory in your own heart. So the discipleship is giving what is first received. So look at the tool now. I want to talk to you about what do we do with the heart disease. And so there's a tool that I want to give to you guys, that you guys uh, on this handout. And, and um, I want to give you some of the fill-in-the-blanks so that you can walk through the people that you're discipling and give them a little bit of, of conditions on if you're running on burnout or if you're running on apathy, you can be here in the middle with some solutions on what does it look like for your heart to come fully alive, life abundantly, life super added, how do we get to that place where we actually start to live Jesus' command out? And so your heart, just like the physical heart, let me just make some correlations. The physical heart is centrally located on your body. Have you ever recognized that it is surrounded by a protective ribcage for a reason? It's not exposed. It's protected. It's vital. So is your spiritual heart. Your physical heart that looks like this has um, inputs, veins and arteries, and outputs. So does your spiritual heart. So I want you to write this down. On the very top of your handout, you have three inputs and you have three outputs. And this is going to help the friend that is either running on fumes or is going to be running on laziness and just doesn't want to get up on the couch and is having depression-like symptoms. This is going to be able to help both of them or you when you're in that situation. So here we go. Input. There's three things biblically spiritually that whenever you look through the word that god says i want you to put this in your heart hide it in your heart and it's what you look at it's the first thing your eyes what you see what you read massively important what you watch come on somebody when, when people are with you, what movie you go to, what TV series you're watching, what you're binging on Netflix, but also when people are not looking, and when you're all by yourself and you pick up your phone, you're on the computer, and you start picking this stuff up. What you see, what you look at. Jesus says when your eye is clean, your whole body's clean. What you look at is really, really, really important. And it's one of the areas in which that will gauge you the input of your heart. What you look at, what you see, what you choose to look at, what you guard your eyes. If you guys have been around for quite some time, I didn't really hit this generation, but have you ever heard of the idea of bouncing your eyes? Bounce your eyes, brother. Bounce your eyes. You see something over there you shouldn't be looking at? Bounce your eyes. Boing. You know, just hit off. I heard that expression a long time ago. That's That's the idea. Or Job. Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at anything lustfully. You know, adultery isn't what you do with your hands. It starts in your heart. That's what Jesus says. So start way before that thing gets in there and start to share it with other people. Hey, I'm watching things I shouldn't be watching. I'm looking at things I shouldn't be looking at. And you get yourself around some accountable people, some men and women who will hold you accountable. Like some other men who will say, you look at that one more time. We're going to have to go take you back on the round on the shed and just make sure you never look at that again. Because Jesus says when your eyes cause you to sin, cut them out. You need some people to be like, I will give you two black eyes if you keep looking at that because your wife is at home and she's amazing. So here we are with the three inputs. Eyes are one of them, what you look at. The second one, when you see, because you have three blanks here, are your ears. What are you listening to? What do you hear? What are you listening to in conversation? What are you listening to in uh, your audio? What are you listening to on your podcast? What are you listening to... At work, what, do you listen, what are you choosing to listen to? Although there's a bunch of noise, you're choosing to listen to a few things. You know what that is? It is it comes into your heart. Hearing comes by listening to the Word of Christ. Faith is activated when you listen to the right thing. When you listen to something else, they're the only language that he knows is lies and the enemy will allow you to listen to something that sounds kind of true or has a part truth to it. Half lies are full blown um, evil language that will move you away from the very truth and truth will set you free. What you listen to is massively important. Conversations that you have. What you believe in. Have you ever just questioned what you think about? I mean what you believe might be less. I believe in a God who's good. Yes, but does your foundation rest in Scripture? It might rest in somebody else's perception, but is it inside of the Word of God? And so the last one is what you consume. There's a few different ways inside is what you eat. Spiritually, it's what you eat. So the third, I don't know if you guys have that up on the visuals, the three inputs for your heart are eyes, ears, and what you eat. Ezekiel chapter 3, he says, I want you to eat the scroll. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 6 says, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is not communion. He's literally just contextually saying, you had your physical bellies filled with food, but you still come to me. I'm giving you food that you know not of, so I'm giving you the food which is the very word of God, which is him, because in John chapter 1, he's the capital word that came from God. Eat my flesh, drink, what is he saying? Eat the word. When you consume this, when you eat it, when you have the nutrition, you get the fat content, you get the carbs and the energy, you get the nourishment, because you are, you've heard the saying, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. Consume the Word, and the Word will get in you, and, and inadvertently, you'll be making decisions about the Word that are lined up with the kingdom of God to honor Jesus. Eat it, consume it, digest it. Have you ever heard the idea of meditate on it? It's a, uh, the, the Hebrew, in the Old Testament and in the, the Greek, it's a murmuring It's a meditating. It's what cows do. Not to get graphic. Lunch will be later. But you you regurgitate it. You chew on it. You bring it back down digest it. Pull out all the good stuff. Hey, has God spoken to you something in weeks or months past? Bring it back up. Chew. Think about it. Put it back in your journal. Put it back in the Bible. Then weeks or uh, months later, when you need to be reminded of the promise of God, bringing that back up, that's meditating on it. Telling that to yourself. You know, in Psalm 103, David actually says, Bless, hey soul, bless the Lord. And that's what he's doing. He's telling his soul what to do. Hey, today you will bless the Lord. What do you mean? I don't feel like reading the Word, but you need to consume. You need to eat. You need to worship. You need to go to church today. You need to show up to your, your group. I don't feel like it. You've suppressed the feelings so you're living by the Spirit. This is what God's commanded us to do. Consume it to get the most out of it. All right, now your three outputs. Let me give you this uh, quickly, and then I want to give a little bit of description. Your three outputs are the words that you speak, The actions or deeds, words, deeds, and the last one is perspective. Words, action, deeds, life, and then perspective. So these are your three outputs. How you look at life, your perspective on life, varies greatly. Let me just give you a quick example in the Gospels. You know there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, come on somebody, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So there's four guys who apparently wrote on the same life of Jesus. Have you ever seen these overlap? They're very similar, but are they the same? uh uh-uh, They're not the same. John's Gospels, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, they're all different, all around the same. They have very similar – the Synoptic Gospels, those three are very similar, but not, by and large, they're four different – what? Perspectives on one life that they are very connected to. So if you and – if you're married, you and your spouse were to go to a movie – you guys would come out of the movie and you guys would have two different, per- hey, what do you think about it? What, do you, what are you asking? Your perspective. Hey, we have an issue here in front of us. What do you see? Do you see a fear-based situation or do you see faith where God can show up? That's perspective. Do you, do you see trials and tribulations as something that you're supposed to run from or you know God's calling, run into it because you know that thing is not going to remain and there's joy on the other side? It's about perspective. How do you get perspective? It determines by what you put in it. You eat, listen, and see the word of God and around God's people, and then you have a perspective on life that lines up with what God's doing in the moment. You can be aware of God's presence no matter where you walk, praying at all times, giving thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God. The other two, you you need to look at as a, uh, these are your outputs, you need to look at maybe over the day or over the week what your words were like. Were you critical? Were you judgmental? Did you doubt? Did you fear? What were your words like that day or in the meeting? Or were they directed to someone? Your words are an overflow of your heart. So whatever your heart is filled with, this is what Jesus says, then your mouth will speak. So just take a look and examine. Do a little assessment. Where are my words at? And when you see this, you'll get to know that's your heart condition. Your words and also your actions. And then that last one that I covered is perspective. So when you look at these, there is a, a determination for us with this in front of you, with this tool, you can say, okay, let me just take a quick assessment. That's why I said you, you, you might want to pick up three or four of these because you're, you're going to need to change these. You know the inputs that come in and, and you know the inputs that come out. And remember what, what um, Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. I want you to guard your inputs of what comes in because from your heart is supposed to come life. Above, he says, above all, I've given you 31 brilliant chapters of wisdom. Above all else, guard your heart, because from it is the wellspring of life. Maybe Solomon had some foresight on what Jesus was talking about. This is a heart condition, and that's where the gospel penetrates. Find out what you're putting in and allow that to flow out. All right, now, last thing that I want to give you. And there are a bunch of um, blanks around the heart, if if you look at that. Around your heart, and on the top, we've already covered it, your inputs and your outputs. Now around the heart, if you see the little arrows, there's arrows going in, there's arrows going out. So this is your responsibility throughout the day or throughout the week to write down. What did you watch? What did you listen to? Who did you hang out with? What conversations did you listen to? What were the words that were coming out of your mouth? What were the actions that you lived from? What was the perspective that you saw? Write those down so that you can gauge the assessment of your own heart. You know, Paul actually says in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself. That's what he said, examine. What are you examining? What comes out of your heart? Are your, the actions that you're living, the things that you're saying, the, the the perspective that you have? Is it biblical? Is it godly? Is it benefiting your marriage? Is it benefiting you? Is it benefiting your coworkers? Is it benefiting fill in the blank? Assess, examine. And then you come back, and, and if, if the output is not great, then just re-look at what you're putting in. Maybe I need to change my week up. Because remember, your calendar is just an expression of your heart. You determine what's on there. So your, your, your heart has these rhythms, just like any other heart. Input, output, rest. Rest is needed. Input, output, rest. Let me, let me conclude this whole thing so, so that we can just kind of get a, a parallel illustration. The whole entire time, I'm talking about your spiritual heart that has inputs and has outputs and it requires rest. And for us to live out Jesus' command in John 10, to live life abundantly, to live life excessive, to live life, come on, super added. For us to get to the point where the output is a super added life coming from our heart in everything that we do, we have to make sure that we input super added life in His Word and the presence of God and soak in worship, pray without ceasing, hang out with God's people and just say, God, there's more of you that I want to experience, and I want it. A.W. Tozer says, you have as much of God as you want. That's convicting. Okay, now, this is the spiritual heart. Let me parallel. Let me wrap this up with a quick um, uh, illustration and a story on the physical heart. Are you guys familiar? And I think we may have a a picture of it up here with some stats. Are you guys familiar with an Ironman triathlon? It has three exercises to it that completes a a crazy uh, endurance race. It is swim, bike, and run. Are you familiar? Now, it's not just a triathlon, but Ironman is almost like a triathlon on steroids because it's a little bit further on everything. So if we have it up there... When you look at the swim, it's a 2.4-mile swim in the water with a bunch of other people trying to push you, I mean swim, as you go around your, your destination. Then you get out of there. It's not like you get a 10-minute break or you don't have like a week off and then come back. Then you get right on the bike and then you pick up the bike for 110 miles, <laughs> nonstop. Then you fin- you drop the bike or drop you and then you start running and you've finished the Ironman with literally a marathon, 26.2 miles. Now I've asked this, I've, I've, I've asked this a few times now with our church, and I've had a couple people say that they've done it. Anybody here done an Ironman? Anybody here have done a triathlon? Anybody know how to swim? <laughs> Come on, man. Like, yeah, that's me. Um, back to my illustration. I'm talking about our spiritual heart. Let me parallel to the physical heart. There is a man in 2015 who did an Ironman. Now, the world record is is around seven and a half hours for an Ironman. To finish all that, start to finish, about seven and a half hours. James Lawrence, in 2015, did one in Hawaii. The next day, he went to Alaska and did another one. The next day, on day three, he went to Oregon. Oregon. The next day, he went to California on day four and did another Ironman. This man did 50 Ironmans in 50 days and in 50 states. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Listen, the equivalent of a 140-mile 0.6 race extended over 50 days. 50 Ironmans is about 7,000 miles. Just to give you the context, That's if you were to swim, bike, run from California to Maine and back again in 50 days. (laughs) Can I tell you the point of all this? He didn't die. (laughs) The dude finished it. If he is physically capable of something of that stature, what would it look like if we came fully alive? Come on, church, dream with me for a little bit. Jesus came down for life excessive. I'd say an Iron Man 50, 50, and 50 is a bit excessive. I'd say he would have some fuel that he was running off of that not normal humans would do. If he's able to do that physically, what are we able to do that with the presence of God living inside of us? What can we do with the very promises that Jesus says, not as an exaggeration, but as truth, where you and I could own the idea that we have the promise of God, that whatever is set before you, although it's impossible, oh, I do the impossible for and through you, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And I came, I came, Jesus said, so that you may not just barely make it through, but you would have life and life excessive, abundantly, and super added. Let's not look around and see all the problems. let look at our God and see how big and powerful and majestic he really is and take him at his word so that we can go and live Mondays like no other buddy else lives their workplace on Mondays. Let's not just uh, drag our feet and drag our heels through life and actually come alive so that people can come up to us just like they did Jesus That hey, we need to hang out. Yes, we do. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God because I've got a story for you. And it has everlasting life, but it starts today. If your heart is dull, check the inputs and the outputs so that we can fully come alive in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you guys as we close. Father, we ask that we would believe you at your word. We have dull hearts if it's not for you. And so, Father, I pray that your word would shake us. And just like Ephesians 5 says, Awake, O sleeper. God, would you wake your church up so that we can actually live life abundantly, excessively, fully alive, and deeply human? Lord, I pray right now for the very heart issue and the condition that we are running into and that we are believing a lie if it's anything less than your full-blown life now and forevermore. Teach us to live for eternity starting today. Father, let us look at problems as they are, tiny problems to a big, powerful, majestic, sovereign God who wants to do the impossible in and through us. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for hearts that are ready. And God, I pray in Jesus' name for a super added life. In Jesus' name, somebody said, Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net Or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you.